Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Today we are going to cover Revelation chapters 19, 20, and 21. Uh, my name is Jeremy Lightning. I'm here with Pastor Michael Zarling. And uh, today we finish the book of Revelation. It might be a little bit shorter than normal, uh, just because we only have three chapters instead of our usual five. But who knows? Maybe we'll talk ourselves into such a storm that it takes a whole hour. Yep. And we're recording from my house today, which I lovingly call the Zarling Jedi Temple. Uh, I talked to Jeremy to see if we wanted to record from the hot tub, but he didn't bring his bathing suit along. So we're, we're going to do it at my dining room table instead. Yes. I, uh, I didn't think the water would mix with the electricity. There's that. Uh, so uh, we left off uh, kind of abruptly at the end of chapter 19 with a vision of uh, Jesus conquering all of his enemies and then even giving the corpses of his defeated enemies to the uh, birds of the air, the scavenger birds, to uh, feast upon their, their dead corpses. So a very graphic picture of um, how God handles those who uh, refuse his forgiveness and, and disobey him and even fight against his people. Uh, but then chapter 20 begins with a vision of an angel who's coming out of heaven and he has a key and a chain to lock Satan up in the abyss. And uh, once again, this is a great example, and there are going to be a couple more before we get to the end of the book. Great example of why you uh, dare not take the uh, book of Revelation uh, too, I, I don't want to say literally, because you do need to follow the letters, but you need to interpret it according to the style of literature that it is, which is apocalyptic. It uses figurative or picture language. If this was meant to be uh, a physical chain and a, a physical key, well, then uh, that would be ridiculous because um, Satan is a spirit and he can't be uh, bodily bound with a physical chain. Right. And with that, there are those Christians that hold to a literal thousand year reign of Christians with Christ on earth. And what's, what's funny about that is that that's the only thing they take literally in this book is they take thousand-year reign, whereas, like you said, Jeremy, the devil is not a serpent. He's not a dragon. Uh, there's not a, a lock on the abyss of hell and, and then to unlock it with the key. So you can't just pick and choose which parts you want to make literal and which you want to take symbolically. Now, I will say that that figurative language does bring a lot of comfort. Um, quite, per, quite frankly, I, I think... I wonder if you take the sacrament figuratively and say uh, the bread and the wine represents Jesus' body and blood. I've always wondered how can evangelicals get comfort out of that because you still at least have to think about eating Jesus' body and blood, which even as a mental picture is maybe if, if you're offended by the actual eating of Christ, then you should still be offended even by the uh, mental idea of eating Christ. Well, I, I'm only saying this to try to point out that um, there's a lot of comfort in thinking of, in thinking about a literal chain uh, binding Satan and, and God promising us, I have him under control. He's a, he's a force to be reckoned with and a scary, a scary being, but I do have ways of keeping him under control. Yeah. So he, 
Jesus in his vision to John, and you know it's another vision because John says, I saw or I looked, and that's another indication that he uses in Revelation. So he's got another vision. And this vision of chapter 20 is the same one we've seen earlier. This is going to be just showing a different aspect of the whole time of the New Testament. And John sees the binding of Satan, like you said, uh, like an ancient serpent, the dragon that is chained up. And as I was reading that, I was thinking of growing up with my dad telling stories as a mailman in Cedarburg. So there are a lot of dogs when you're a mailman. And you'd be walking up to the house to put the mail in the mail slot up by the door. A dog would come racing around the corner and then uh, stop at the sidewalk because that's where the chain pulled him and he started yipping. Uh, But my dad knew he was safe. But my favorite story was there was a dog that was barking at the picture window as my dad was coming up to the house And then the dog went away. He was quiet. The next thing my dad knew as he turned around, there was a crash through the glass window as the dog ran head first into the picture window. But whether it's a picture window or whether it's a chain, my father was safe. And it's the same thing with us. God allows in his infinite wisdom, the devil as a dragon to come at us and attack us. But at any time he can pull the chain back and said, Enough is enough. This isn't really going to be that spiritually edifying, but you reminded me of an experience I had with an advertising paper route that our parents had us do as kids. And uh, there was one time I was walking up to a porch step and there was a dog behind the screen door. Screen door was firmly shut, but uh, the dog was barking at me and I had to get the paper down on the porch and then um, the dog kept barking and jumped with and put its paws it was a big dog put its paws on the one of the panels of the screen door and popped it out and 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 popped it forward and so if it wanted to it could have jumped right out and uh, uh, attacked me but I think that the dog was just so surprised that he that he had success that uh, I had time to get away and Jesus has control of Satan. He's bound for a thousand years. And a thousand years, again, we've heard it before as time, times, and a half time. This is the New Testament period from Jesus' ascension until Jesus descending in the clouds that the devil is chained up, but he can still attack us Uh the chain is the gospel that goes out through the world. Again, Satan is free to, pow- to prowl, he's, yet he's bound. Uh, and you can compare that to Revelation chapter 12, where the dragon can attack us as individuals, but he cannot destroy the woman of the church. Another uh, beautiful picture that you get in these opening verses of chapter 20 is the idea of uh, being brought to life. Uh, but it's important to remember uh, that uh, the resurrection that it's talking about uh, is not necessarily a resurrection of our bodies. It's the fact that Jesus brings our souls to life when he converts us. And uh, which one is that, by the way? Which? Uh, well, what resurrection? There's all this talk about yeah. the first death, the second death, the first resurrection, the second resurrection. Uh, can you sort all that out for me? Yeah, so the first resurrection would be 
our resurrection from being dead in sin and dead in unbelief. And so it's our conversion, whether it's being converted through the gospel or our, our baptism as infants or adults. That's our first resurrection. And then the second resurrection would be to eternal life. And then the second, same thing with the first death. The first death is being born dead in sin and remaining in that sin and then dying eternally. Uh, the verses that follow that uh, are probably, I, I think, the most difficult to interpret of, of the whole book. And yet at the same time, every time you say that, you also have to say they're the easiest. Um, it talks about a great gathering for battle. It's, it's a mustering of every single force on Satan's side and, and all the enemies of the church. Um, and, and the tricky part is this whole business of Gog and Magog. Uh, I've read several commentaries on Revelation, and uh, every one of them has said there's no, there's no sure way to say exactly what this is. Some of, you know, that were published right around the time of the Cold War try to find some connection to Moscow with Magog. <laughs> but um, uh, it finally doesn't matter because it's this big buildup of a battle with all the enemies of God's people, and they're all on the same side, and they're all surrounding you entirely. And just as it seems like things could not get any worse, everything disappears. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the great battle of Gog and Magog. Again, that's come, that comes from Ezekiel's chapters 38 and 39. So what Jesus is pulling out to give to John to give to us is the same thing he's given to his saints previously. And then, uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the warning that God gives in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and the grave gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what he had done. So what Jesus is laying out for us is that physical death is not the end. People are afraid of dying. And it's not new with a virus and so forth. People have always been afraid of dying. It's natural for us. But what we should not be afraid of necessarily is the the end of this life. It's what comes in the next life. We can't, we cannot hide from it. Uh, Everywhere, the dead will be found and all the dead will rise, some to eternal life, but those who have been judged according to their own deeds because they refused the deeds of Christ, they're going to suffer for that in eternity. Uh, There are a couple other things that, well, there are lots of things you could say about uh, chapter 20, uh, but uh, did you want to uh, keep moving to 21 or wrap can, it up? You can keep talking about 20 if, if you like. Well, um, I, I guess I was just going to say that uh, a lot of times when I was a kid, I would get uh, troubled by a thing. You were just talking about being afraid of dying, and uh, that that bothered me as a kid a little bit. But what bothered me even more was the concept of eternity and um, how eternity lasts forever. And uh, that always tied, I tried to think through it and it would always tie my brain into a knot of panic. And uh, I remember my parents and my dad in particular uh, pointing me to the book of Revelation at those times uh, to say, um, look at what really this panic that you're feeling is coming from Satan. And now look at what 
God is going to do to Satan because Satan is doing this to you. And, and I did get a lot of comfort from that to think, uh, yeah, Satan, it feels like I'm in a mental lake of fire right now, but Satan's going to get thrown into a real lake of fire for harming me, God's child. And not just the devil, but we talk about the unholy trinity of the devil, death, and sin. And it says in uh, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. So, and, then, and then 14, the death and the grave get thrown in there too. Exactly. And so you've got the devil... And you've got its great allies of the apostate church, the false prophet Jezebel, the beast out of the land, as well as the church or the government, which persecutes Christians. That's the beast out of the sea. They're coupled with death and the grave, and they're all thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, It just occurred to me that there's some uh, false teachers out there that uh, write books about love winning. Are you are you aware of those books, Love Wins? Uh, I don't read those books, Jeremy. Okay, well, I, neither do I, but I've heard okay. about them. Shoo. And uh, I did have a classmate who read one one time to um, just to critique it, and I thought he gave a pretty good critique of it. Um, but uh, they use Bible passages like verse 14 to say, well, hell, you know, the grave, that's the word for Hades, hell gets thrown into the lake of fire too. So doesn't that mean then that um, uh, hell ends up coming to an end and everybody ends up getting saved? Um, and I think even without having read that book or doing a lot of research on it, you can just look at the very next verse, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, so it's not just hell that is there, it's it's people too. And you don't get out of the lake of fire. Well, I sat the last two days at Board for All Missions meeting at Senate office, and I was sitting next to a classmate of mine who's also a district mission board chairman out east. And, you know, we kept getting handed uh, budgets and forms and reports. And he made the comment that uh, he thinks hell is going to be filled with budgets and reports and forms. (laughs) And they said, well, the word for hell and Hades at sometimes is Gena, which is uh, the the garbage dump Uh, in, in Jerusalem. And they said, and that would be filled with budgets and reports and forms. All the, all the trash that you throw away. Yep. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that pretty well covers verse, uh, chapter 20. Uh, so chapter 21 um, is uh, a beautiful picture of a wedding. Right. So before, the, all the other chapters are bringing us to the final judgment. And now these last two chapters lead us beyond the judgment and into the wonderful world where God's people will enjoy eternity. Um, it, again, I don't want to take things too literally uh, in the sense of there there has to be a physical correspondence to uh, what is written in in the the in the in the letters of this book uh, alongside yeah I'm just going to stop with that uh, it would be very ridiculous to uh, try to imagine a constructed city I, I'd like to just start with the first verse, the new heaven and new earth, a new sky and outer space and a new ground. Um, and, and that's what we can physically expect in the next life. And the rest of this is really just um, 
a picturesque way of saying it's going to be wonderful. And the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because right there in verse one, it says the sea no longer existed. Well, I mean, what if you like water sports? You can't. Or what if you like sailing or water skiing? Uh, should you not expect that in heaven? Because there's not going to be a sea there. Um, no, this is the uh, John's way of saying, right now, I'm being separated from the people that I love by the sea, the Mediterranean. I'm on an island. And uh, wouldn't it be nice to go visit them uh, and just travel there without a boat? Um, the Jewish people were not seafaring people. Uh, the water was kind of a scary thing for them. They were farmers. Uh, and so it's like, just imagine what it would be like without big, scary uh, things like, like oceans or water that you can get drowned in. And it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. So what this idea might be is that God takes everything, like you said, the sky and space and then the earth as we know it, and then burns it all up, and then it's created anew. And so, you know, we like to talk about living in heaven. Uh, just before we started recording, I got a phone call from one of our members that her twin sister had passed away this afternoon. And, you know, to say, well, she's in a better place. She's with her Lord in heaven. But we like to talk about that. But a new heaven and a new earth. Mm-hmm. Give me something totally different. And we don't know exactly what that is, but the idea is it's going to be pretty, pretty amazing. Think about whatever you can imagine and now go beyond your imagination and imagine something more. And it's going to be greater than that. And, and it will be physical. It will be bodily. We're going to be raised bodily from the dead. It's not just going to be a hypothetical or a, a ethereal uh, afterlife. And uh, the other reason, you know, I, I try not to be a, a stickler or a Nazi about um, uh, saying, don't, don't say go to heaven. But I couldn't agree with you more on that point. Um, because especially, and I'm saying this because of verse 3, what does verse 3 say? It doesn't say on the last day we all get raised and go to heaven. It actually says God comes to, to make his dwelling among us. God is dwelling with his people, um, and, and we'll get to see Jesus face to face. Yeah, exactly. So just think about how amazing that verse 3 is, that God is dwelling in his, with his people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. That we talk about God being with us now, but he's with us in spirit. He's living in our heart. Uh, we're part of his kingdom. And yet uh, he's a spirit. So somehow God is going to be with us there visibly in heaven. And that's the key that we should be focusing on. Not uh, Well, and it'll be the physical form of Jesus right. that we'll get to, we'll get to, uh, we had a blind uh, girl that was born blind at our church in Michigan. And, uh, one time she gave a really nice talk at, uh, a, vi- a vacation Bible school about how she actually was thankful for her blindness, uh, for, for any number of reasons that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was really nice and touching. But I also did ask her, um, d- would you, like, I mean, it, I forget how I put it. It was something like, would you like even to continue to have that? Or, or would you like to not be blind in the next life? And, and she very quickly said, no, no, I want to see my Lord face to face. 
Um, I, I also have to throw in yeah. verse six just because of our podcast name. Yeah. It, did you want to take that or should I? You can go with it because I'm going to explain why we have the name of our church based on that verse. Okay. Uh, Jesus said to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. So there's our uh, self-promotion for the Thirsty Podcast. There we go. And so when we merged our two congregations this last year from Epiphany and New Hope, we gave people in our congregation... Uh, yeah, opportunity to pick a new name, but we gave them directions uh, that we wanted a new name that had a tie to scripture and a tie to Racine. And so some of the people still said Epiphany and they still said New Hope, but the three, the top three vote getters were Root of Life, River of Life, and Water of Life. And the pictures that connected to uh, Racine with the root of life is we have the root river that flows south through Racine and into Lake Michigan. And the name Racine is, is French for root. Okay. And then you have the picture of uh, the root of Jesse and so forth in scripture. Uh, and then you had the river of life and the river of life flows through Eden and it flows through the book of Revelation. We see that in chapter 21 and 22. And again, you have the root river. But the the best one then, the one that was chosen was water of life because we've got Lake Michigan, we've got uh, the root river, and someone even made the connection of that we have a lot of underground springs that come up uh, one place and come up another, just like we're going to have one church, but it's in two campuses. Ah, neat. And then you have the picture of baptism and Jesus at the, the well, uh, Jacob's well with the Samaritan woman giving her water that won't make her thirsty again, Isaiah, and then also Revelation. So then the water of life. Wonderful. Uh, in verse 9, you get the statement from John, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls that were filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. He said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Um, before we get to that bride, I just had to say, that uh, you kind of see something neat with uh, the fact that it's an angel who was involved in the doling out of God's judgment. And uh, it's almost like you can see the, the sweat dripping off that angel's brow as he comes up to John and, and sort of maybe sa whispers an aside to him, boy, I'm sure glad I got that job done with. Uh, because I'd, I'd much rather spend time introducing you to the bride, the wife of the lamb. Verse 14, the city's walls are uh, 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles. And that's just a picture language of the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then verse 15, we've seen a measuring rod before that uh, it was used in chapter 11, and now John is giving a measuring rod to measure the church on earth, the church engaged in its struggle with the world. Uh, now the angel is using the measuring rod to measure the church in all of its glory. And he measures it out as being 14 or 1200 stadia. Uh, and the, the notes for the EHV says that they didn't, they purposely did not put that into yards or meters or miles because 
you lose the symbolism mm. of the 12,000 stadia. Sure. And, and so I did some math, and I'm not very good at math, but I figured this out, that 14, so this is going to be about 1,400 miles. So I want you to imagine this. That would be like from this city, and it's a cube. It's from Jacksonville, Florida, to about El Paso, Texas, all the way north to Spokane, Washington, to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then back down to Jacksonville. That's about 1,400 miles uh, from each direction, and then now 1,400 miles up into the sky to make a perfect cube, kind of like the Borg ship in the Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation. That analogy limps pretty hard because the, the Borg are the bad guys, I right? Know, but it's a cube. Well, and, but again, this shows you why um, a, a literalistic interpretation of this book or saying that, there's, that the pictures correspond exactly to what we will physically experience is, is misinterpreting it uh, because this would be a very awkward and odd place to live. It doesn't sound uh, like, like there would be a lot of uh, joyful experiences if you're trying to stay balanced on this cube or find your way around it. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a way to, to do it if we're all like Minecraft figures or something. But the idea, though, is the cube is uh, the Holy of Holies. Ah, sure. In, in the tabernacle and then in the temple was a perfect cube. And so that's what God is picturing is that we are in the perfect Holy of Holies for all of eternity in this holy city. Everything about it will be flawless. Uh, everything will be beautiful. Um, everything will be excellent. Uh, that's really the message of, of this perfect cube. Um, you, uh, at the end of the chapter, get some more promises from God about how he will uh, keep it bright. It will uh, not have any uh, terror attacks. Uh, that's why they can keep the gates open all the time. In ancient times, you'd have to close the gates at night and keep a watch out because you didn't know what enemies were attacking you in the dark. Um, but uh, it, it sent the message that uh, you don't need a security system in heaven. Yeah. And so, yeah, those last few verses, verses 23 through 27, the glory of God and the Lamb, they're providing the safety and security of the city. Uh, people are going to be able to walk safely in the light of the city. Uh, like you said, the gates won't have to be shut because the enemies can't get in. Uh, only those who have, uh, who have their names written in the book of life can enter the city. Uh, the king of the nations will bring their glory and the glory and honor of the nations. And nothing that's unclean and no person who is detestable or who lies can ever come in. Uh, you won't need to own a firearm in order to defend your property in, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, chapter 22, last chapter of the Bible, and uh, a beautiful one it is, uh, powerful also uh, with a, a lot of the, um, well, there's some threats, uh, there's some strong words so that uh, you know that God wants us to take his word seriously. Uh, but uh, we get another reference to the water of life. Right. And then as you read through the first few verses of chapter 22, you really just need to make the comparisons of the paradise of heaven to the paradise of Eden. So you see the river of the water of life throwing, flowing through the city to the throne of God. And then you think of the four rivers that flowed through the Garden of Eden. 
Uh, You see two trees of life corresponding to the one tree that had been in the Garden of Eden. And uh, God would not allow Adam and Eve to eat of that tree. But now those who are saints in heaven who have their names written in the book of life are going to be able to eat from this tree that bears its fruit all 12 months of the year and they're going to be able to live. Uh, God placed a curse on the world because of sin, yet in this new Jerusalem, there's going to be no curse because the trees take away the curse. And in the garden, God had told Adam and Eve to rule over his creation, but they and we lost that rule because of sin. But as part of the new Jerusalem, we will regain the right to reign. And that's a wonderful thing to think of uh, when it comes to the next life, that you'll have, it it won't just be wandering aimlessly or uh, uh, sort of uh, always taking in pleasure, uh, although it will always, everything, there's nothing that won't be enjoyable about the next life, but uh, you'll also be producing You'll, you'll be making decisions or you'll have some kind of an authority, of a responsibility, a job that uh, God ha- has given to each of us to do in the next life. And that's a wonderful thing to provide meaningful work uh, as, as a human being made in God's image. Um, the tree of life, you might see different depictions of that in different kinds of artwork. Uh, the translation is a tricky thing to do because uh, sometimes people come up with an image of a tree that's actually growing over top of the river with its roots extended to either side of the river, since it says that it's on both sides of the river. Uh, uh, Pastor Zarling mentioned another uh, picture that you might see where there's just two trees, one on each side. Uh, it's also possible to think of it as a, um, what would you call it, uh, a, a category the category of the tree of life is on both sides of the river. So, so you could even think of it as two orchards. Uh, it's, this, is, this is the category of tree that grows on both sides of the river, but the point is uh, you'll have a way to continue uh, gaining eternal life. And what would you say? Uh, well, all right, I won't, I won't make this a curveball, but when it talks about in uh, verse 2, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Um, it, you might think, how, how can, uh, why would there need, be need for healing if nobody's going to be injured? Um, and uh, the word there is actually for therapy. Uh, and when you think about physical therapy, so yes, you can do it in order to get better from an illness, but you can also do it to continue strengthening the healthy body that you already have. And that's kind of the picture of heaven. And then, like I said before, with being able to see God's face, uh, we're told that exactly in verse four, they will see his face. Again, God is a spirit, and yet somehow we're going to be able to see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Uh, Think again of your baptism. When the pastor placed the seal of Christ, that cross on the head down to the heart, marking you as a child of Christ. We read about this seal earlier in Revelation chapter 14 that marks us as God's saints, which is the opposite of the seal of the beast, the mark of the beast of the 666. I'm personally very curious about seeing the the physical features of Jesus' face. Uh, He was obviously an ordinary Jewish man. 
Um, but uh, we've seen so many different artist depictions of him that uh, that that is that is one that I'm really looking forward to. Um, you know, my mother was saying she's starting to feel like a, a ghost guest on this uh, podcast that we bring her up so much. Well, it'd be worse if she was actually a ghost. That would with yes. The podcast too. Yeah. Uh, no, she's still very much alive and uh, and with us, uh, but. Uh, at one point, and I just have to tell a story to lead into the closing verses of this chapter. Uh, at one point in uh, my childhood, it was I think it was in the upper grades, um, my parents gave me the assignment that I needed to memorize a larger chunk of scripture. And I decided to pick the closing verses of Revelation. I think it would have started around verse 12. I'm not going to do this for you tonight because I don't have the EHV memorized. That's yeah. the only reason. It's not because... You know, that's just because it's the EHV. But um, uh, I would do; they would do this with me and rehearse it early in the morning before we would go to school. And uh, one of the times uh, that I was kind of groggy and it was early and I, I maybe didn't know it as well as I did on other days, and I was trying to recite it and get to the end of it. And uh, it, it has a reference in verse 15, John says, Outside, that's outside of the city, outside are the dogs, that is the sorcerers, or in NIV it was, those who practice magic arts. And uh, when I was so groggy early in the morning as a seventh grader or whatever, uh, I ended up saying, outside are the magic dogs. There you go. And, and my dad just looked at me like, uh, what are you talking about, magic dogs? And with those verses 12 and following, uh, John is laying out for us that salvation is a gift. Uh, Jesus is speaking, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. So he won it and he brings us the, the gifts of salvation to repay each one according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, so the first and the be- last, the beginning and the end. Uh, he washes our robes so that he then gives us the right to eat from the tree of life and that he allows us to enter into the city. Uh, so the key there is uh, it's everything is won by Christ and given over to us as gifts. And then verse 17, the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit and Christ's bride, that's the church, say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, all of you who are listening, come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Everything that Christ has said for us throughout Scripture and now given to us again and again in these, this picture language of Revelation is a gift. Uh, really, you could preach many sermons on any one of these verses. And so I, I, I'm going to resist the urge to go off on, on different sidebars with all the neat little details that you could discuss. Uh, but... Uh, I, I guess one thing that we didn't quite cover in verse nine before this is uh, the angel saying, do not worship me. Uh, and just how that uh, when it comes to created beings, uh, anything that we really should only do for God, whether it's praying to them or uh, bowing down in uh, uh, reverence that is due only to God, um, not that bowing is is wrong in and of itself. But uh, whatever it was, the angel is saying, uh, if you are only supposed to be doing this to God, then don't do it to one of his creatures. 
And then verses 18 and 19 that Jesus gives warnings. And it's not just warnings about the book of Revelation, but really the entire book of the Bible that you cannot add to or subtract from Scripture. If it's not there, don't add to it. Uh, if it is there, don't take it away. Uh, because otherwise, there, there are great curses that's God, and plagues that God is going to pour out on us. Uh, and then there's the final encouragement to come and take from the free gift of the water of life. Uh, I was just going to ask you about verse 17, when it says the spirit and the bride say come and let, let the person hearing this book say come. Uh, and uh, does that, in your mind, is that saying uh, that the Holy Spirit and the church are asking Jesus to return quickly, or is that more of an invitation of uh, unbelievers to uh, turn to faith, turn to faith in Christ? Boy, that's a good question. I took it initially when I read it as uh, as an invitation for those to come, you know, and drink from the water of life. Yeah, that is what comes right after it. Right. It, there's just so much other uh, use of the word "come" that's for the Lord Jesus. Please hurry, Lord Jesus, right. and come. Yeah, and and when you were saying that, I thought, oh, that's that's a good picture language too. I have to study more on that because you know we pray oftentimes, uh, common table prayer, "Come, Lord Jesus, be your guest," but. More often nowadays, when things when we're going through persecution and difficulty and hardship, we pray, "Come, Lord Jesus, come and end this. Come quickly." Mm-hmm. And and that's a great way to uh, end the Book of Revelation. That's that's our constant prayer to Him, it, and it is definitely talking to the Lord Jesus in verse twenty. So uh, that's where I'll end it. Okay. So the main theme again of the Book of Revelation is. Unlike Shoreland's football team last night, it is <laughs> the theme is we win, and that's what we need to remember is that we win. What was the final score? I didn't hear uh, that. They yet. Lo- they ended up losing by like twenty eight or so. Did they score anymore? Uh, they scored like twenty eight, but they gave up another twenty eight. It was something like that. It was okay. It was pretty brutal. Uh, but. The key is that we we do win. Jesus wins. That's the theme. And then because he wins, we win. So this finishes our study of the book of Revelation, of Jesus Christ's revelation to St. John. And if you'd like more and more in-depth study, you can come to Water of Life's YouTube channel. I'm going to be doing that study. We'll go through one or two chapters uh, next year, uh, if we're able to keep doing this Thirsty podcast, Jeremy and I have talked about going through the Gospel of St. John and just going in-depth and then also going really in-depth in Revelation as well. So next week, we get back to our regular schedule with the Gospel of Math- Matthew. So this is Pastor Zarling with Zeus, the king of the Greek gods with his ever-present lightning bolts. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.